Hello and welcome to the Safe Food Podcast. I'm Dr. Aileen McGloin, Director of Marketing and Communication at Safe Food. And this is a special edition of the Nutrition Podcast series, where we're bringing you a recording from a symposium hosted by Safe Food at the 2019 Federation of European Nutrition Societies Conference in Dublin. The symposium asked, what advice does the public believe? And outlined the challenges for researchers, policymakers and practitioners. Each one of the four contributors is available to listen to individually. There is also a separate podcast where all speakers are featured in full. This is Dr. Robert O'Connor of the Irish Cancer Society. Thanks very much to Safefood for the invitation um, to speak here today. Uh, just to say at the outset, um, I should have added as well, I have no conflict of interest in giving this talk. I don't receive any funding uh, nor support from uh, any uh, outside agencies aside from the charity. Um, so what's driving the nutritional problem in cancer? And I think uh, hopefully my talk will intersect with some of the others as well. So I'll hit some of maybe the top line uh, elements. Uh, and obviously, I am going to focus on nutritional aspects, but there's a lot of other challenges with misinformation uh, in cancer. So I suppose we have, sometimes have a sensation that uh, nutritional misinformation uh, and uh, use of certain words, etc., is a relatively recent phenomenon. It's not. And food and drinks advertising has always uh, had health claims made. It's not too long ago um, that we would have had ads like this for uh, alcohol, for Guinness, what we are seeing, I suppose, is an increase in advertising, an increase in advertising spend, especially TV and social media. And social media is obviously a very new uh, avenue um, for a lot of advertising spend. And what we're also seeing is an increase in what I might call scientification of nutritional marketing claims. So in the past, and I'll give some examples in a minute, we would have seen terms like healthy, although I defy anybody to define what is actually healthy, because healthy really depends on what your own state of health is. Healthy natural, nourishing, goodness, and wholesome. And we still see those, but increasingly now we see much more sciencey terms like, uh, you know, boosts the immune system, gives energy, has anti-cancer properties, is a superfood. Uh, and superfood is a particular red flag to me because anybody who claims anything is a superfood is telling you a lie straight out. Um, so this all started back in the Bible a um, long time ago. Don't want you to read through all of this, but it's actually probably an example of the first clinical trial that was conducted. And it was basically a comparison of a meaty diet versus a, a, a vegetable-based diet. It was thought the meat diet would be better. Lo and behold, two weeks later, um, they found in the small um, cohort that they tested that actually the, um, the folks with the uh, pulses, which is the vegetable diet, had fairer countenances uh, and fatter flesh than children who ate the king's meat. So I suppose over the 20th century, and, and even before then, we saw a variety of different aspects as commercialization of food production and food sales grew. Uh, and so we saw, I said, some of these things. Uh, Cheerios was the precursor for what we now know Cheerios. Um, corn, various different aspects of a normal diet been promoted more with the health aspect rather than just saying, you know, go out and eat our products. Um, things became maybe a little bit more palatable, and it's part of the reason, I suppose, that um, things came in in terms of regulation. The top one here is a claim about um, beer and, um, uh, and its impact for, for the baby and the mother, pick me up. Uh, kids need the energy candy gives. I don't think that one would go down too well. Um, certainly not with, with Healthy Ireland, anyway, and, then, and not with us, Cancer Society. 
uh, vitamin donuts. Uh, most donuts actually do contain trace elements of vitamins, so there's nothing actually wrong in that, but the implication of them being good for you. And 7-Up in milk, and I, I tweeted this the other night, and actually several people went off and experimented on this. So apparently it's not that bad, but you know, calling it wholesome, I think, goes beyond a boundary now that we would find acceptable. If we move into the more recent times, we see food companies being uh, admonished uh, and, and having uh, regulatory oversight for claims like uh, yogurts that are scientifically proved to help support your kids' defences. Uh, if your kid isn't immune compromised, that's really a very difficult, um, go back one. Um, we've got things, um, high uh, sugar containing um, children's targeted foodstuffs that are again using sciencey stuff, vitamins and minerals, you know, giving a perception there. And even in foods that we would regard as being healthy, fruits and vegetables, we see a huge focus now on trying to make completely false claims. Mangoes do not prevent cancer. They simply don't. Um, <laughs> But we see this came from an Irish supermarket um, three or four weeks ago. I think some of you in Ireland will know there was a bit of a media storm uh, about this. So these are very real things. We've also got the growth of what I call shockumentaries. Um, so uh, Pete uh, Evans would be a particular um, person of focus. Some of you may have seen the Netflix um, documentary. I literally couldn't watch any more than two minutes. It hurt my eyes, the, the, the misrepresentation that was in there. Thankfully, some people have picked this up, but this, this program is still available and is still seen by some people as a Bible for nutritional information. Even today, within Ireland, our own food promotion organisations are cottoning on to this. This is big business, and they're talking about let food be your medicine. Food is not medicine for a healthy person. It simply isn't. Um, and claiming that is trying to get a, an advantage over your food over somebody else's. Now, nutritional science um, is, is probably one of the more challenging sciences because a lot of associations um, where other sciences you can do much more causative type um, examinations. But it has certainly contributed to vast amounts of prevention of ill health. If we compare, and I'll show some data in a second, but if we compare um, where people were at the start of the 1900s and at the end of it, there's no question but that an understanding of nutrition has contributed vastly to improvements in health. Not the only contribution, uh, improvements in, in cleanliness, improvements in medicine uh, and in training, etc., and education have helped as well. Our lifespan has increased incredibly dramatically, much more so than at any other stage in human um, evolution. So over the last 100 years, so if you were a person, average person, this is UK data, but it, similar in Ireland, if you were a person born around, 19, uh, uh, in around 1900, your life expectancy was just over 45 just over 100 years later, your life expectancy is over 80. And in Ireland now, that's up to around 84 um, years of age. And it's matching a global, um, and even in underdeveloped countries, the average life expectancy now is well um, beyond 60. Um, but along with that, we've also seen a massive change in the diseases that impact people and in our perception of those diseases as well. If you were born in 1900, if you didn't die, um, maybe in, a, an early, in, in, in childbirth or in an early um, childhood infection with one of the big ones, TB, flu, etc., um, there were so many different things queuing up um, to impact you. We've had a lot of improvements in nutrition, making you more resilient to some, several of these diseases, but also the advent of antibiotics and other medical interventions, meaning that today cancer and heart disease are the major killers. If you look left and look right of you today, one of you will develop a life-threatening malignancy in your lifetime. Just to put that in context, for every um, 100 people that die, 
three, uh, 30 of them will die from a cardiovascular disease, and about 31 will die from uh, a malignancy. So these are much bigger in terms of their impact now and helps much bigger in the psyche of people. Food is a very lucrative, but it's a very crowded commercial space. I just took this from, from IBEC, who's a, an industry body in Ireland. <clears throat> the sector has nearly a 30 billion um, turnover, 30 billion euro turnover, and groceries alone is 15 billion euro in Ireland. Ireland is a small country. That's the 26 counties. That's just over 4.5 million people. So this is a very very large amount of, of, of money, but it's very difficult to kind of get in there. Moving on, I suppose we've got um, issues around democratization of health information and misinformation. You can get anything out there. We can go on our phones, and many of you will be on your phones looking at different things, and people talk about this Dr. Google phenomenon, but it is a very real phenomenon now. Um, so you can go anywhere, you can put something in, and often this leads people to misunderstand um, their state of health and what they have. So this simply says he's gone on the internet and he's found 8,346 life-threatening illnesses. He looks perfectly well. He's sitting up there in a chair. So we get a perception of things. Um, we've got easy access to research. Anybody can go on to PubMed or other sources of, of research and they can basically find out information even if they aren't channeled to that by somebody who's trying to misuse the information. So, for example, resveratrol, which is a, um, an element of, of grapes and, and certain other um, fruits and found in, in red wine. Um, there have been lots of claims for it, uh, including this um, misinformation here, um, that it could have an impact in cancer. It can't have an impact in cancer. You would have to drink a bathload of wine to get the active amount, and it breaks down in the body incredibly quickly. So you would need to continuously fill your body full of wine, and can anybody see a health problem with that, where cancer wouldn't really be relevant? But you can go on there and you can look at that, and unless you're a trained scientist, you won't know that these are in vitro studies, the concentrations are not relevant to those that you see, etc. So this is a challenge because we're not, people, the general public are not trained in research understanding. And anybody who goes on Google thinks that they can do research. Most of you will know of this, but if you haven't, uh, you certainly should know about it, the Dunning-Kruger effect. And we're all guilty of it. I am guilty of it as well, where we know so little of what we don't know. So many of us start out, we have an interest in a topic, we read something, we think, that, that's all there is to know. Nutrition, sure, isn't it really easy? Um, that was meant to get a joke and a laugh in the current environment, because if it is really easy, I, I don't know where I'm going wrong. And then as we start to study it, investigate it, and listen to other opinions, etc., we start to realize, actually, we do learn a bit more, but actually what we, what we don't know starts to increase. And unfortunately, this is a very common phenomenon out in the real world, the scientific world, uh, and um, causes real challenges. We've got significant media issues. So our media has changed utterly from where it was maybe 20, 25 years ago. We have a continuous news cycle. We can check it on our phones 24-7. We turn on Sky News, BBC News, wherever our source. So there's a vast demand for information. You don't go back onto your app unless you feel that there's going to be something new there. So that has to be fed all the time. There's a lot of focus then on clickbait. Nobody wants to pay for their newspaper anymore. And the companies that set up the apps, et cetera, obviously get their money by advertising revenue, and they know what drives people to click on particular things. And I've seen this with articles that we've had where certain, certain phrasing of the article drives people and their interest. 
We're largely seeing the death of the newspaper, not completely gone, but um, the rise of apps and social media means that people don't pay for their news. And this is just an illustration that now half of Americans, more than half of Americans, get their news from social media. So nobody actually sits down and formulates it. They just get their stuff from their Facebook feeds, their Twitter feeds, etc. We've seen a huge rise about the, in the influencer phenomenon, and we've also seen a huge rise in people talking about cancer. Um, when I was uh, a child, relatives died from cancer, and you did not know that they died from cancer. No one spoke about it. Now everybody who gets cancer goes on, and, and they will go on media, go on social media, and we talk a lot more about it. Now, that's a good thing in some ways, but it also overemphasizes um, the relevance of it. We're seeing a lot of evolution in marketing opportunities. And, and just by way of, of illustration here, we see uh, an excellent guide from the American Cancer Society. It's really good. It looks well. But this is the kind of stuff that people actually want to pick up when they go down to their supermarket. And this is why these things actually continue to sell well. Dr. Oz and his um, thyroid detox, um, and you're going to lose 42 pounds by Easter. Um, just crazy stuff. But it's a lot more marketing and a lot more spin than the evidence-based information. We've always had the health um, food claims, but now we've got various other people able to monetize those aspects. So how you cook the food, People and chefs can make money out of that and their perceptions on it. Books about food and health rather than just books about cooking. Seminars about um, food and health. We, we were involved in one case where a particular person was charging €1,200 for a three-month um, seminar series in a keto diet. Okay? They didn't even have to go to it. It was an online thing, so they kept using the same content over and over again. Advertising revenue can be drawn into these things. And now we also have hospitals and clinicians promoting... Um, these. There's little if any professional sanction for many of these people so they don't get called out on it and there are very significant conflicts of interest and even in this meeting I have to say I've been quite disturbed at seeing some of the conflicts of interest around some of the sponsors of the meeting and no one yet having, having called it out. Um, on the other side unfortunately there's very little access, certainly in Ireland, very little access to nutritional professionals. Uh, and Erspen, I know, have been calling out for this. We in the Cancer Society have been calling out for this and been doing a lot of work in the background, specifically in the cancer space, probably more in the acute um, setting, to be honest, because um, that's where um, really there's, there's such a deficit that we do need to work in the community setting as well. So, for example, data um, showed that... Um, sorry, I'll go back. Um, that um, nine in ten uh, cancer patients regard nutrition uh, as either uh, import, extremely important, very important, or somewhat impor important. We've got very confused messaging to people around um, what is uh, in, uh, important in terms of diet. So meat and cancer is a very good example. We've got excellent data from the World Cancer uh, Research Fund uh, advising limitations, etc. Then a couple of weeks ago, we had a report out from the Annals of Internal Medicine, and that was converted into headlines like this. Sausage, bacon and steak did not give you cancer, new study reveals. Now, that's not what the, what the study said, but that's what's coming up in people's minds. If you're a member of the public, how are you meant to interpret that information and, and what its impact will be for you uh, and your family? It really is very, very frustrating. Our expectations, uh, as I finish up, our expectations, I think, uh, have also changed. We, again, with this Dunning-Kruger thing, we think that disease is easy. There's a lot of mistrust now of institutions and professional bodies. This concept of modern life being toxic um, and that there's an easy fix somewhere. There's some sort of diet I can take, or even if there isn't, I'll just do it and sure what harm can it do? Um, and people who claim that they can cure your disease by following their mantra. 
So um, there's an expectation, I suppose, that we won't see disease or we won't see ill health until some notional period in, into the future. So to finish up the impact of this, um, and there has been some research on it, although not as much as, as was needed, and I won't go through all of the detail, but basically, depending on the types of, of adjustments between complementary and alternative diets, we can see an increase of two to five-fold incurable cancer death rates. That's a massive impact, potentially, uh, in, in cancer treatment, much bigger than any drug. I've worked with some dietitians uh, in some of these areas. I just wanted to cite one case study here, which I think is a very good example. Uh, and it was in this paper with Una Griffin and myself. So I won't go through the details, but this lady has a resectable or essentially potentially curable pancreatic cancer, caught at relatively early. But she, do, um, she went off and decided, because of her research, that she would do natural therapies, a no-sugar diet, supplemented doses, etc. She lost a quarter of her body weight as a result. Her cancer progressed, and ultimately she passed away, and she was unable to really keep with her chemotherapy and treatment as a result. Those are everyday examples that dietitians tell me about. This is a typical example now of the kind of cancer patient um, pantry that we're seeing. You see turmeric in there, various vitamins, some of which we know actively work against cancer treatment and can actually promote um, cancer, but again are being missold. So to finish up, what's going on? I suppose we're seeing uh, health claims for food and marketing. They're, they've been constant. We're seeing increased sophistication and much more actors in this space. Lack of enforcement of legal regulation as opposed to industry body regulation. Uh, and we're seeing poor nutritional education, especially in children, um, poor education of healthcare professionals who often are at sea in how to deal with these things, poor communication with patients, which is on us and groups like us, the Cancer Society, poor understanding of nutritional research. And I suppose nutritional research and researchers themselves need to learn that just because something correlates and graphs nicely does not mean that one causes the other. And this is a very common thing I see in research and literature um, that I would review professional body regulation, and also marketing of unproven facts. So the take home, the nutritional problem in cancer is uh, an issue around exploitation, poor basic education, poor protections, poor regulation of professionals who go into the, into the bad camp, as it were, lack of factual communication. And one thing I want to leave you with is lack of marketing of the facts. So um, Coca-Cola, and this may be a little bit of a, an obscure example. You go out tonight and you want to have a, a drink of a cola. Which one of these are you going to go for? The one on the left or the one on the right? You're going to go for the one on the left. They're both identical black liquids, both carbonated, both taste nice, etc. So is there a lesson here for how we combat nutritional misinformation and cancer? And do we need to market our facts? We're reasonably confident of the facts, but do we need to market those facts in the same way that the bad actors in this situation are marketing their um, views? So thanks very much for your um, attention. That was Dr. Robert O'Connor of the Irish Cancer Society. This was recorded at a FEN symposium at the Convention Centre in Dublin. If you would like any further information on aspects of this podcast or any other part of Safe Food's work, do get in touch with us. Search Safe Food or look us up on social media. You'll know us by our purple tick. You can link in with our Food Poverty Network and All Island Obesity Action Forum or keep up with our latest research reports on LinkedIn. And remember to follow the Safe Food Podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, goodbye from me, Aileen McLoyne, and all the Safe Food team.